that ranges across the great state of Colorado. Each year, two proud programs fight for the right to stand atop those great mountains. We to a special Rocky Mountain Showdown preview podcast. Adam Munster Tiger from BuffStampede.com. And with me, Ryan Krause, publisher of InsideTheRams.com. Ryan, I've got to be the first to welcome you to the Scout.com network. Appreciate it, Adam. I'm uh, super thrilled to be on board finally and uh, to be a part of the Scout network. Awesome. Well, there's a big football game that's going to take place down in Denver tomorrow. So I think we should spend a little time talking about this. I think First off, with this podcast, we'll basically give a, a general overview of preseason camp. Obviously, me giving the, the CU report, you with the CSU report, and then we'll go back and forth with some mailbag questions. And then later in the podcast, we're going to go kind of basically matchup by matchup and kind of break down what, how does Colorado's secondary matchup against CSU's passing attack and kind of go down the list and figure out which side has the edge. And at the end of the show, we'll give our prediction. So, Ryan, let's first jump into kind of just an over, overall view of preseason camp for Colorado State. What, what were kind of the main headlines, the main takeaways you took from their, their preseason? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the main uh, kind of headline that has caught, you know, certainly some regional, uh, maybe even some national news, is just the uh, quarterback battle. Um, you know, Mike Bobo has made it pretty clear that he's not uh, going to name the starter anytime before the game. So essentially, um, everyone, including media, is just in the dark as far as who's going to start. Um, you know, the assumption is last year's starter, Nick Stevens, who's now a junior. Um, the assumption is he's going to start again uh, now that he has a year under his belt. Um, you know, he competed, obviously, with uh, Fatone Bauta, the Georgia quarterback transfer. Um, you know, I think he's going to play this year in, in different capacity, uh, capacities and, you know, I'll explain some of that uh, more in depth here in the show. Um, and then there's two freshmen, Colin Hill from South Carolina, who um, has been very impressive, um, really just has all the measurables and intangibles you want out of a pro style quarterback. I think uh, my personal opinion is he was the best looking quarterback out there, but it's a whole nother ball game uh, lining a kid up under center who's a true freshman. Um, he's been here uh, a full semester. He he came here last uh, January, so he's he has a pretty good understanding of college and the playbook and all that. But I think it's still pretty um, early to insert a true freshman. So that's been the main headline is who's going to start a quarterback for CSU. Um, and I think the other big takeaway is for the most part there haven't been any major injuries. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the key that you know any program that's the number one goal of any program really of any fall camp. Uh, to get through uh, camp without major injuries. Um, that being said, uh, recently fullback uh, Adam Prentice, who was uh, slated to start, he tore his ACL, so he'll be out for the year. So that's kind of a major setback. But um, on the whole, there's been uh, lingering issues uh, injury-wise and certainly some injuries that um, have some CSU fans scared, but nothing season-ending other than the fullback Adam Prentice. Um, and other than that, I think, you know, for – my impressions and things I've heard from uh, coaches, players, and things around the program is um, certainly a lot of talent, um, but the main thing is uh, a lot of inexperience. 
uh, certainly on the defensive end of the ball that has some fans uh, pretty worried. So again, we'll, we'll delve into that here a little bit here later on the podcast. But, uh, you know, I think there's been an increase in talent uh, from what I've seen from covering the team uh, almost six years now, uh, but certainly some inexperience in some key spots. Okay. With Colorado, it's been a pretty quiet preseason. They only opened up three of their preseason practices to the public and media. So in the past under Mike McIntyre, we got a more extended view of this football team. There's a more mystery, I guess, going into the season just because we haven't had a chance to see with our own eyeballs a lot of what's going on behind those practice gates. Uh, the Buffs did lose one of their top playmakers. Jawan Winfrey went down with a torn ACL. Uh, kind of towards the tail end of, of, of camp, the camp portion of the preseason. He was a, a blue-chip junior college signee that during the summer and, and early on during camp looked to be a, a really nice complement to Shea Fields and the Buffs receiving corps. So that, that was a hit. Now, junior Bryce Bobo has had a strong preseason, and, and now he's expected to, to start at X receiver in Winfrey's absence. And Bobo's always had the, the talent to be a Pac-12 starter, but he – kind of struggled to stay focused in the past. It seems now that he's an upperclassman. It's maybe clicked for him. We'll see. I think there's still some question marks about whether he can maintain that consistency going into the season. And they really need him to stay focused because, again, Winfrey went down. Uh, and it, Another thing that really stood out to me was just kind of the, the shift that's taken place within this program. Two years ago, you look at it, I mean, Colorado's offense was performing well, but the Buffs defense couldn't stop anybody. They, they ranked 116th in the nation in scoring defense in 2014. And that resulted in Kent Bear being fired as the defensive coordinator. Now you look at it 20 months after Jim Levitt's arrival as the new defense coordinator. This is a, a defense that appears to be the team's strength. Uh, they've got a defensive line that's more talented and really deeper than it's been since the last time the Buffs played in a bowl game back in 2007. Uh, you look at the, the first unit players at linebacker and in the secondary, and they're pretty experienced and talented. It resembles a legit Pac-12 defense for the first time since really they joined the conference uh, moving over from the Big 12. And I, I will say, though, all that said, that depth at linebacker and in the secondary is not ideal. So those are a couple places that Colorado can't really afford too many injuries. Otherwise, they could have some – all of a sudden, that, that defense that looks pretty stout and pretty good right now could uh, could kind of venture back towards being being kind of an average unit if they get decimated with injuries at those two spots. Uh, you, you look at it overall, you know, the returning players have started 412 combined games at Colorado. That's the most ever in program history. So based off that, there's kind of this quiet confidence with this coaching staff. But, uh, you know, until the, the Buffalo start winning some conference games, there's understandably going to be more doubters out there than believers. And, 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 again, that's understandable. This is a program that needs to kind of prove it on, on the field. But, there's, you know, there's always that that Kool-Aid that gets flowing in the preseason. It seems like it might be kind of justified this year with Colorado. But again, the fan base, even the media, were just kind of jaded. We've kind of let the preseason hype get to us in the past, and it's tough to let that seep in. But again, it just seems like there's more to that kind of backs it up this year with the experience on, on this football roster. So that's kind of the breakdown. Jumping into, uh, segueing into our Rocky Mountain Showdown mailbag, Ryan, this wasn't a question I got from a CU fan. It's a question that I thought of when you, you were going to kind of give in your rundown of CSU and why is it that, that Mike Bobo does not want to announce a starter? Is it to try to mess with CU? Because I, I can tell you from CU standpoint, they're preparing <laughs> like Nick Stevens is the starter. Right. Yeah. And I, I read a comment about, you know, McIntyre mentioning that 
he said something along the lines, of course, I'm paraphrasing that it's, it's pretty much a sure thing that Nick Stevens is going to be the starter and that's who they're prepping for. Um, you know, I think the thing is, is, is this isn't the NFL. So the staff is, they're going to play coy and they're going to, um, you know, release information that, you know, the media wants to know, but they're not going to release too much that they don't have to. Um, so I think it's just kind of a control thing. It's a thing to keep um, opposition off or excuse me, on edge. And uh, they're going to do anything they can to kind of gain any sort of competitive advantage. And I think it's sort of a mind game thing. And, um, you know, regardless, I think the CU defense kind of has an understanding of all three quarterbacks and who they're going to face. Um, I think Bauta is more of a kind of a true uh, dual threat kind of guy. So if he plays, there's more of a threat to run the ball. I have like a read option. Um, but if you have Stevens or Colin Hill, uh, they're your, you know, traditional, uh, pro style guys. So to answer your question, I think the coaches are just trying to, uh, kind of play mind games a little bit, but they're only going to release information that, uh, you know, really they have to. And other than that, I mean, um, they're, they're doing what they can to get any sort of a competitive advantage. All right. Well, I'll let you, uh, throw a question my way then. All right. Well, to be honest, you're Adam, I followed, uh, your camp. Uh, somewhat closely, so I have a pretty good idea. Um, I have some questions though that I, that I think, um, you know, the casual or hardcore, uh, CSU fan might be interested in. Um, first question I think, uh, might be on a lot of CSU fans' minds is how is the health of Sepho? Um, and are there any concerns there or is he back to 100%? Yeah, that's, that's a good question there. That's the biggest question that Colorado fans and, and us as media had going into camp and, there has not been any setbacks with Sefo Lufau coming back from that Liz Frank foot injury that knocked him out in week 10 against USC last season. He was cleared medically back in June, and they really haven't had to limit him at all this preseason. Uh, he, he dropped about 15 pounds during his rehab process, so he's moving around a little bit better in the pocket. Uh, he he kind of got big, and I think he enjoyed kind of being a guy that could take a lot of punishment, and, and it, it helped him in terms of being – part of the, the ground game quite a bit last year, but I think dropping some weight, taking a little pressure off off his foot has helped out in that regard. I mean, Sefa was out playing pickup basketball maybe before he was supposed to this spring. He's, he definitely had a really quick recovery from that Liz Frank injury. You, that, that can be a tricky injury to come back from. I think if he was going to have any complications, we would have seen it by now. So really at this point, He's uh, kind of viewed as any other player and, not, again, not limited at all. So uh, he's 100% going into the season. I'm going to throw a question at you, and this nice. actually came from uh, GoBuffs88, uh, who's a subscriber on BuffsFanP.com. He asked, which player do you expect to make the biggest impact, positive or negative, for CSU in the Rocky Mountain Showdown? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think there's some guys that come to mind, certainly. Um, I think the biggest concern offensively has been trying to find who's going to be a go-to guy, um, or maybe even a couple go-to guys, uh, at the skill positions with, you know, the obvious, um, you know, Richard Higgins leaving early to the NFL. You had Joe Hansley graduate, uh, Deontay Gaines left the program. Um, those are your top three receivers right there. So who's going to step up at receiver? But to answer your question, um, I think the one guy that's going to have the biggest positive impact, um, is actually going to be Daylon Dawkins, who's, uh, the little scat back that, uh, um, Buff fans got to watch last year. He's the running back that it was his first year in the program. He was a Purdue transfer. Um, he's generously listed at five foot seven, 180 pounds. 
Um, I'm not even sure if he's that big, but Bobo has said time and time again that uh, he's the toughest guy on the team, uh, pound for pound, certainly. But uh, he's a guy that he's kind of a lightning in the bottle, uh, jitterbug type of guy, but he loves to run between the tackles. Um, and that's been a positive and a negative. Uh, positive, but he's very tough and can scrap for yards. Uh, and, and even apply some hits, which is pretty surprising for a size. But the uh, negative of that is uh, something that Bobo kind of challenged him over the spring and then uh, moving into fall camp was, can he make guys miss in space? Um, he's a guy with the skill set that you'd think in one-on-one opportunities that he can, you know, shake and bake kind of, uh, uh, you know, put on a move and win that battle uh, the large majority of the time. But for whatever reason, he, he loves just to lower his shoulder um, and try to run the guy over. So that's something that I think he's going to have to work on, as well as uh, he had fumble issues last year, which, um, you know, I think some CSU fans think. And that overtime loss to Minnesota, um, CSU could have won that, but he uh, he fumbled the ball and kind of, um, I guess, added a huge play that certainly helped Minnesota win that game in overtime. But he's a guy that, in my opinion, has a skill set um, to run the ball for over 100 yards with the offensive line in place, as well as to uh, be a threat in the passing game, uh, whether that's screens or swing passes. Um, he's a guy that's just pretty versatile and just because of his toughness and experience playing in this game already that, um, he's probably going to have the biggest impact with so many other newcomers, uh, CSU has on offense. Dalen Dawkins, that kid has um, wheels, man. I, he's got wheels. Colorado fans saw that last year. I think he had between <laughs> rushing yards and receiving yards, I think like 180 yards in last year's Rocky Mountain showdown. Yeah, no, that was one of his better games for sure, and he was kind of hit or miss. And obviously he had some injuries and then the fumble issues, so he was kind of hit or miss. And then uh, the emergence of Izzy Matthews, the true freshman running back, kind of um, you know earned him more playing time over Dawkins. But certainly Dawkins is a guy that, like you said, he's um, he can definitely like, make some plays. You got a question for me there, Ryan? I do, yeah. Um, so I actually meant to uh, ask this uh, along with the Cepho question. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of hype with uh, Steven Montez coming on board. Um, now that he's redshirted, is there any chance that uh, CSU might see him in any sort of special packages? As long as Sefo Lufau is standing upright, you will not see Steven Montez out on the field during the Rocky Mountain showdown. <laughs> uh, he's he, he definitely took it, took advantage of the fact that Sefo was out this spring and, and got a chance to work a lot with the first-team offense and, and made some strides. He didn't really have the greatest spring game, which I know kind of disappointed some fans that wanted to see what all this hype was surrounding Steven Montez. They actually haven't announced who their backup quarterback is. Um, on the depth chart that they released on Saturday, it has Steven Montez and Jordan Gerke listed as co-backups. I can tell you, kind of like you were talking about with Colorado State not revealing who their starting quarterback is, they, they figured it out. They knew who their backup is because you've got to know uh, when you start prepping for a game that number two gets so many more reps than the third stringer. You'd be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't pick a guy. So they, they've definitely determined who their backup is. I would be surprised if it isn't Steven Montez. He's got just a really good physical skills. He just makes plays that other quarterbacks, including Sefa Lufau, can't make on the roster. Now, he doesn't have the experience, so you're definitely not going to roll with him in, unless Sefo gets hurt. So. That's kind of a long-winded answer to your question. I think Steven Montez is the front-runner to be the Colorado starting quarterback in 2017, but they'll actually even have to compete for that when Sefo graduates because Sam Neuer came in as a true freshman and does some really nice things getting the ball out quick accuracy-wise. 
And then they've got a verbal commitment from Tyler Lytle, who had 26 other offers. So they're going to have a better quarterback situation than they've had in a while. So that's kind of, the, again, a long-winded answer there. I got a question for you, Ryan. This comes from Wyndon Buff on buffstampede.com. He said, I'd love to hear Ryan's thoughts on the 17,000 rushing yards in the scrimmage. Which is the biggest contributor, the <laughs> offensive line and running back strength or the inability of the defense to stop the run? They definitely, Ryan, they put up some video game numbers on, on the ground game and took a couple of those scrimmages. Uh, kind of explain what your thoughts are on, on what's the biggest contributor for that. Sure, yeah. Um, certainly some, uh, I would say several factors kind of played into that. Um, for one is Dalen Dawkins. I think he started out with a 40-yard run. Um, again, this was close to the media. Um, only Ram Club members uh, were allowed to watch it, but they did provide stats. Um, but Dalen Dawkins had, a, I think, a 40-yard run um, and only played in two to five plays, I think, and sat out the rest of the scrimmage. Um, and then Izzy Matthews, I think he uh, he played a little bit, but he um, injured his ankle a little bit, so he finished in a boot. It's not a severe injury, but he didn't play as much. So essentially – uh, the main running backs that played were two true freshmen in uh, Marvin Kinsey and Rashad Body, uh, um, and then some backups like Bryce Peters. So um, it's very interesting because my understanding is the ones went against the ones and the twos against the twos. Um, so for the two true freshmen who both went over the century mark on, I think, a total of 25 carries between the two, um, was certainly eye-popping. Um, Again, my understanding is just knowing kind of the depth situation they have along the defensive line. And again, they're moving uh, from a 4-3 defensive alignment, which they had last year, back to a 3-4 under Marty English. Um, so that, you know, there's some, some transition there. But the defensive line, they've had uh, four of their five main defensive tackles uh, and their 3-4 that have battled injuries off and on. Um, the starter, Josh, Josh Lovingood, uh, he's been healthy all of camp. Um, but over the last week and then moving into this week for sure, most of those guys are all getting back to the field. So uh, to help answer that question, some of those guys were hurt at the time of the scrimmage. Uh, that certainly played a factor. Um, and certainly the second level and then the third level, there were some injuries, guys being held out uh, primarily as precaution. Um, I think the staff knows who it has. Uh, so some of the, you know, the leaders, the guys that they know are some of the better players on defense. They either had in red jerseys, which means no contact, or they even held out for uh, certain portions, if not all of the scrimmage. So um, I think it was a chance for uh, the running backs, the younger guys, to really impress, and they certainly did, especially Marvin Kinsey. Um, he's an electric kid from Atlanta. That um, He's the third running back right now. He's, uh, in my opinion, he's certainly going to play. He can add some weight for sure. He's a young guy, but he's electric anytime he touches the ball. Um, but depth is certainly a concern defensively. Um, and I think for the scrimmage, uh, it was lacking. And so when you have the second team going against the second team, really on defense, you're down to possibly your third team, maybe scout team guys that, uh, some of these really talented kids are going up against. So I think, you know, of course, scrimmages, uh, you often want to take things with a grain of salt. And I think that's kind of the case here, but, uh, overall, I would say CSU's rushing attack uh, certainly should be a strength of the team, whereas the rush defense is certainly um, kind of up in the air with the depth concerns on the D-line, and then linebackers should be good. But again, uh, depth behind uh, their quality starters is also kind of a question mark. Okay. You got anything else for me? So with that, 
Absolutely, I do. Um, you kind of touched on it earlier there, Adam, but um, with Jawan Winfrey's injury, um, I guess how big of a loss is that for CU? As long as Bryce Bobo stays focused, keeps his head on straight, I would say it's a, it's a small loss. Now, if he gets hurt all of a sudden, you go from having pretty good depth at X receiver to, to not having good depth at all. And uh, I think KB Onento, another junior college addition, can be a pretty good backup, but I don't know necessarily if you want to plug him in as a starter in that role. So as long as they stay healthy and Bryce Bobo, again, kind of lives up to the hype and, and expectations based off his preseason, they'll be okay. And the good thing there is that Juwan Winfrey still has his red shirt. So he can uh, use that this year and still have two years of eligibility. It's not one of those deals where uh, he's already used his red shirt and this is a completely lost season. Uh, I will say that, you know, Jawan Winfrey was more consistent in, in I just think, just think a little bit more versatile in terms of being a receiver and, and, and was definitely one of their top playmakers this summer and early on during camp. So I'm not going to say that it's not going to affect this team, but Bryce Bobo has been a guy that they've, they've seen flashes from for, for two years now and, and just, it's never really manifested itself in, in terms of consistency on the field. Again, so he, he basically to answer your question, the impact of Winfrey's injury is is 100% going to be determined by what Bryce Bobo does this fall. CT Buff has a question for you, Ryan. If CSU struggles to run the ball, do the Rams have enough firepower in the passing game to make CU pay? You know what? That's a that's a fantastic question because I think that's definitely um, a concern. Um, you know, if, you know, provided Nick Stevens is a starting quarterback, you know, he does have a full season of experience starting. Um, you know, he was a second team all conference selection last year, but I think certainly some of that has to do with, in my opinion, the lack of, uh, overall talent in the conference compared to what we've seen in years past. Um, but, you know, I think CSU last year, they struggled to find an identity offensively, um, until later in the year where they, uh, started to establish, uh, the ground and pound running attack that Mike Bobo wants to establish similar to what he had at Georgia, you know, with the Todd Gurley's of the world. Um, he wants to have that power rushing attack at Colorado State. Now, they didn't really have that at the start of last year. And then the emergence, as I mentioned, uh, of Izzy Matthews helped kind of to establish that. And we're down uh, some of the weaker teams in the conference late in the season. Um, so I think this year, uh, especially with the emergence of some of the true freshmen, the running attack is going to be uh, heavily leaned upon. Um, certainly the offensive line is looked upon as a strength of the team you have. Uh, four returning starters, um, Jake Bennett from Bear Creek, Fred Zerblis on the inside, and then Nebraska transfer Paul Thurston, who's a name you might remember, former four-star from Arvada West. Uh, he's transferring in his uh, final season of eligibility. He'll, he'll fill in at left guard, and then you have two experienced tackles and Zach Goldich and Nick Callender. Um, so I think the running game is going to be um, pretty darn good this year for CSU. And to answer your question as far as uh, can Nick Stevens uh, move the ball down the field with new receivers, uh, potential question marks at quarterback? Uh, if CSU does get down, I think that's a huge question mark. Um, and in my mind, a little bit of a worry because, sure, there's talent on the outside. Um, they've got some new guys that have shown flashes in camp and in scrimmages. And uh, from what I've seen, they're clearly talented kids compared to, you know, some of the guys I've seen at Colorado State in years past. But um, honestly, it's their new guys and a new offense, even if they've, you know, played at junior college, whether that's Dietrich uh, Clark or Michael Gallup. Um, it's, it's a new ball game playing against your rival in the first game like this. So 
Um, I don't really know if they have that because Nick Stevens has struggled to throw the deep ball. Uh, it tends to overthrow the ball. Um, and he's more of a kind of a conservative short game to mid-range kind of passer that tries to move the chains that way. Um, so if CSU can't establish a consistent run game, I think it's definitely a concern if CSU can put some points on the board. Um, and with that being said, uh, I have another question for you that's uh, along those lines with the rushing game. Um, I heard a lot about Bo Bisharat, uh, the four-star coming in uh, from California. I saw he's the fifth-string running back. Um, will he factor into the offense at all this year? Yeah, the reason that uh, you know about him and a lot of people know about Bo Bisharat is that he was their top-rated signee last year and, and had – a lot of college options, even had Alabama kind of sniffing around close to signing day. And, and so he was very much lauded a, as a signee. He came in, he's 6'2", 215. He's their biggest back, but he's, you know, he's got that height. So the 215, he doesn't carry it the same way that, you know, some of the, the bulkier backs would. So he's kind of a leaner frame. And he's a guy, like you mentioned, is fifth on the depth chart. I think uh, if, if, if they feel that he's a guy that can really help them on special teams, he will get a role, maybe getting a few carries. But He's definitely not going to be a focal point of, of this offense, at least early on in the season. One of the things that Bo has to work on, and this is true for most true freshmen running backs, is just picking up uh, blitzes and helping in, in pass protection. Because when you're a stud running back in high school, they just hand you the ball and, and, and you kind of run the offense. You don't have to do a lot of those intangible things, especially, you know, in the pass protection game. So uh, that's an, an area he needs to improve on and, Part of kind of why he's not higher in the depth chart is that there's this kid named Kyle Evans, who's a sophomore that was a walk-on that joined the program a couple years ago. Five six, really small guy, but he's really muscular and and he stood out. At one point, Darian Hagen, the running backs coach, told me he was performing better than any running back on the roster. He got put on scholarship in camp, and so he, he's third on the on the depth chart ahead of a guy like Michael Atkins, who's made a lot of plays in game action. So uh, his emergence is is, and then the fact that Bo Bisharat, uh you know, wasn't, uh, didn't come in ready in terms of the pass protection area, I think is where, where he's, why he's a little bit lower in the depth chart. But I wouldn't just write off Bo Bisharad. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be part of the mix, whether that's at running back or linebacker in the future. I think he's going to be a pretty good player. Our friend Kyle McCall wanted to know something from you, Ryan. Uh, he wants to know about CSU's newcomers. Uh, he mentioned Mavin Kinsey and Colin Hill. Could you tell us a little bit about them and, and maybe some of CSU's other newcomers that, that have turned heads? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with Marvin Kinsey, I kind of uh, touched on him a little bit. He's a he's a true freshman from Atlanta. Um, came from a high school in Riverwood where he ha- he was the first uh, person in program history to have his number retired. Uh, ran for about fifteen hundred yards uh, as a senior and really a do it all guy as a running back and kick turner. Um, and I was under the impression that as soon as he arrived, he just you know watching this film. I know there's only so much you can tell from a huddle highlight tape. But you can kind of get a sense of who a kid is, at least. And um, he just had the frame uh, and the skill set, in my opinion, to do a lot of big things. And, um, you know, he, he he was the one name I kept hearing over and over from the scrimmage. Uh, their, their second scrimmage, the most recent one, um, about him turning heads of, uh, you know, making guys miss in space, breaking tackle after tackle, and just a guy that, uh, maybe he doesn't, he hasn't picked up maybe the, the nuances of the position, kind of like you mentioned with Bo Bishrat, just trying to learn the intent or the nuances of the position, like blocking, uh, pad level, things like that. Maybe he doesn't have all that stuff down yet, but 
Uh, he's just so ta- talented um, that he can't not see the field. Um, so he's a guy that even though Izzy Matthews and Daylon Dawkins are going to be your two-headed monster at running back, uh, Marvin Kinsey is going to be a guy that I think has to see the field, uh, whether that's at running back, maybe line him up, uh, maybe even the slot. I don't know, get get him going in the uh, screen game a little bit. And I think you might also see him as a kick returner, uh, which is a position he excelled at in high school. Um, another kid that Kyle mentioned is Colin Hill, who uh, was a three-star signee out of South Carolina. Uh, towards signing day, South Carolina was showing some very strong interest. Uh, they decided uh, uh, under Muschamp not to offer him, but um, he's a kid that was All-State, played in the Blue-Gray game down there in South Carolina. Um, you know, he's 6'5", 215, um, has a very strong arm, just looks the part, throws a very nice football. Um, and as Coach Bobo likes to say, he has a lot of arm talent. Um, but I think more impressive than that is he just gets it off the field. Um, he's a film rat. He's uh, been kind of a mentoree under Fatone Bauta, the Georgia transfer, um, just constantly in the film room learning. And he's just a very bright, smart kid that just seems to get it. There's a, um, a subtle confidence, um, which is, you know, the intangibles he has is what Coleman Key did not have, uh, which is why Key is no longer a part of the program. He transferred out. Um, but I think Colin Hill has a very, very bright future. And I think realistically, um, you know, CSU's produced some pretty quality quarterbacks, a couple that have gone on to the NFL. And I think Colin Hill, at least talent-wise and uh, some of the intangibles that I mentioned, I think he has a chance to be one of the better ones um, down the road. But, you know, I don't want to put the car before the horse, but certainly he's a guy that has talent. And, again, I don't think he'll be seeing the field this year. I think uh, CSU has Bauta and Stevens, so Hill's probably going to redshirt. Um, and as far as other newcomers, I think the guys to key in on, um, you know, there's a lot of guys in this 2016 class that I think helped make this class one of the best in CSU history, at least on paper. Um, but the main guys that CU fans are going to have to um, keep an eye on, I guess, are some of the junior college guys. Uh, I mentioned Michael Gallup, who's going to be likely a starting receiver on the outside. He's a 6'2", uh, well-put-together kid that can make plays uh, after the catch. Uh, there's Dietrich Clark, who's a slot guy, also a junior college transfer from Arizona. Um, he's a little guy. He played. He was an option quarterback uh, in col- uh, junior college, and uh, he's learning a new position at slot receiver, but he can make plays after the catch. Um, so those are two guys, as well as uh, junior college first team All-American tight end Dalton Fackerel. Uh, he's a 6'4 kid that uh, he's about 240. He's kind of a slender guy that. Really, he's he spent the majority of his college career at Snow College lined up in the slot um, standing up. Um, and so he's been spending fall camp kind of learning to put his hand in the dirt a little bit more to be more of a, um, a blocking guy as well as catching guy. But in my opinion, he's he's got the best hands on the team. He's just the purest pass catcher. And he's a guy that uh, bigger target that you can line up in the slot at 6'4 that um, I think can create mismatch issues uh, in the slot, perhaps, um, and he can actually stretch the field a little bit more than people realize. Um, so those are the newcomers that, in my opinion, have kind of stood out in camp. Um, and I'm actually going to flip that same question back to you, Adam. Who are some uh, newcomers that have impressed you in camp so far? I mentioned Kavion Anto, a, a junior college addition at receiver that, that's done pretty well. He's cross-trained at both X receiver and Z receiver. I think if they got an injury to either Bryce Bobo or to, to Shea Fields, he would be the next man up in either of those two spots. He's 
not going to wow you with his speed or anything, but he's got a really tall frame. He's like six three, and, and he's got a long reach, so he can catch those jump balls. Uh, in terms of newcomers, uh, the, the freshman that I really need to mention is Anthony Julmis. He came in as a guy that uh, he was a three star out of Florida, but I'm telling you, if this kid played in Colorado, he would have stood out so much. He would have been a high four star recruit just because. You know, sometimes those kids out in Florida, there's so much talent out there. They kind of, you know, people are used to seeing electric playmakers out, out there. He came into camp, and they didn't know where to put him. Uh, he, he was so electric at receiver, uh, was so consistent for a freshman in, in the secondary that they decided just to keep cross-training him. And he's listed on the depth chart at cornerback as a backup there. But, again, if they get more injuries at receiver, he's a guy that could play there as well. It's, it's a very rare as Darren Cheverini, the offensive coordinator or co-offense coordinator and receivers coach said for a freshman to be able to do something like even imagining seeing action both ways. But Tony Jomis has been a guy that's proven that he can do that. So those are, are the main guys. You know, fortunately, I talked earlier about how the returning players have 412 combined starts, which is the most in, in program history. That puts you in a good place as far as not having to play true freshmen and, and redshirt freshmen and sophomores before they're ready. And that was, frankly, not to go on a whole diatribe here, but that was one of the biggest issues they had. They kept going through these coaching changes, and they had attrition issues, and you're stuck in that cycle, kind of like being stuck in, in, in quicksand. You're having to play these freshmen and sophomores before they're ready. They finally got to the point where in most spots they haven't had to do that. Now, at uh, cornerback is one place they haven't really been able to cultivate a lot of depth. So if they have any injuries there, you might see – uh, Tony Joel Meese, who I mentioned, play there. Uh, Ronnie Blackman is another true freshman as a cornerback that's, you know, kind of earned the respect of everybody. He's kind of a smaller cornerback, which kind of bucks the trend of this staff. They've recruited a lot of longer defensive backs, but he's a, he's a pretty good playmaker in terms of being a, a, back, a defensive back. Again, I don't, in, in terms of this Rocky Mountain showdown, you might see some Joel Meese out there, but you're not going to see a lot of young guys, a lot of newcomers on the field. So that's, uh, Kind of why Colorado fans, I think, are, are pretty optimistic about just this team in general is that they're not having to force guys into roles that they're not ready for. And I've got one last question for you, Ryan. This comes from Black and Gold Josh. This is not related to the Rocky Mountain Showdown, but he just wants to know, are the folks up in Fort Collins confident about getting a Big 12 invite? Well, what's the latest there? What what can you kind of share with Colorado fans in terms of that? Yeah, uh, interesting question. Um you know, a lot of stuff going on as far as rumors. Um, to be fair, it's kind of it's kind of hard to know what's factual and what's actually just rumors. You know, you have people saying, "Oh, I have sources saying this," and it's like, you know, how much of that is true? Um, just to get to the point, um, I think on the whole, fans are pretty optimistic about getting into the Big Twelve. Now, I should have prefaced that with, you know, fans certainly are going to be biased. Uh, you know, and they're going to say, you know, they're the best program. They deserve to get in for, you know, X and Y reasons. But um, I think the reality is a lot of folks, um, you know, have kind of come to the conclusion that there are some very real uh, possibilities and good reasons for that. Um, now, if the Big 12 expands by two teams, I, I don't think CSU is going to be one of the two teams. Uh, if they expand by four teams, uh, I think there's a very real chance that CSU could sneak in as that four team. I kind of think, um, you know, they're, they're kind of on the, bu- the bubble, honestly. They're kind of the fourth or fifth team, and there's kind of like a 50-50 chance that they uh, sneak in there. Um, but I think, um, 
you know, just the, the commitment from the program as a whole, I think we're, we're seeing stuff that we haven't seen at all from CSU as far as the commitment from the administration, the amount of resources being pumped into the program, um, and the things that are going on realistically should have happened under Sonny Lubick probably 15 years ago, um, which is why CSU is just continually playing catch-up at this point as they just didn't invest in the program. Um, and they're finally doing that. Certainly the new stadium is a huge deal. Uh, that's over halfway completed. That'll be ready to go by uh, next fall, the start of 2017. So you have that. You have uh, an athletic director that has numerous connections, uh, previous employers at Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Texas, has lots of connections to the conference. Um, I think that's going to play a bigger role than people realize. Um, I think really the biggest knock on CSU, they have the academics, uh, you know, and so many things working in their, their favor. I think the two things that are kind of hindering are, one, fan support, uh, which they got to prove they got to show up to games. And I think provided they get into a Big 12, fans are going to sell out the new stadium because they're going to want to see, uh, you know, the Texas. This is the Oklahoma's as opposed to New Mexico and, you know, the and teams like that. So I think that that's going to help. But fans need to prove that they can go, that, uh, you know, they'll show up to games, which has been an issue. Uh, and then also for as much as CSU's improved, uh, you know, on the court or on the field in basketball and football, um, I don't think you've seen, you know, sustained success that you would like to have seen. Um, you know, they had the 10 and three season, which is great, but, um, you just kind of look at who they've played, and they haven't won any conference championships since, I think, 2002 uh, in football. Um, so the performance on the field certainly has to improve, and um, I'm not sure if this year's performance is really going to factor in that much. Um, but I think CSU has a pretty good chance. Uh, certainly that's been the huge buzz here in Fort Collins. Um, I guess we'll wait and see here. Mid-October, I believe, is when um, there's going to be some sort of announcement uh, as to who they let in, but I think CSU has a pretty good shot provided they uh, add four teams. Um, and I don't know if we have time for this, but I have two quick questions for you that I wanted to ask you, Adam. Uh, sure. First one, I'll make it short. Uh, what's the story with uh, Addison Gillum? Uh, I saw him on the second team, I believe, at middle linebacker. Yeah, he, well, he's actually listed as a, as a co-starter there at uh, the Mike linebacker position, which is the, the – middle linebacker in Colorado scheme. Yeah, he got hurt in the second game of last season with a knee injury. They initially went in just to scope it, and it just wasn't healing properly, so they had to go in and do some more work on it. And it's strange. It wasn't an ACL. It was an MCL, and it took him a really long time to come back from that. Even early on during camp, he admitted that it was swelling up a little bit after practices. So they've treated him with, with kid gloves this preseason because – He's when healthy, he's one of their top five players. There's no question about it. You guys saw a couple years ago in the Rocky Mountain Showdown in in his debut as a freshman. He was just all over the place. Great closing speed and really good length. Uh, he just hasn't really been able to stay healthy the last couple of years. It's been, been a, a plethora of issues, and including illness. And it's been a rough deal for him. He even gave up football for a little while before rejoining the team uh, last spring. And so it's been a, a, a tough deal for him. He's pretty optimistic that he did get a medical red shirt, so he's going to have two years of eligibility left. So uh, they're kind of optimistic, yet I, the fan base is not at all. They've just seen him get hurt so many times that I don't want to say they get, they've given up on him because they know what, what he can do when he's healthy. But there's a lot of pessimism around, you know, Addison Gillum in terms of how much he can give this program. 
I'm going on kind of more of the optimistic side. I've, I think he's, he's uh, had a pretty good preseason in the reps that he's gotten. And I'd expect him to be playing kind of starter snaps. Okay. I got you. That's very interesting. Um, and also you've kind of touched on it some already, but who are the biggest skill, uh, impact players offensively for CU? And has anyone really stepped up, uh, you know, whether it's over spring ball filling or going into fall camp? Uh, has anyone really stepped up to replace Nelson Spruce's production? Well, Shea Fields was actually, he's their starting Z receiver. He was having maybe a better season than Nelson Spruce was uh, early on last season. His stats were at least better. Now, part of that is that other teams knew that Nelson Spruce was a threat and that they tried to bracket him and take him out of the game, and Shea Fields kind of took advantage of that. He uh, suffered a high ankle sprain, and, and although he played in a lot of games later in the season, he was kind of a shell of his former self, just wasn't a hundred percent. And so he's a guy that, that you're going to see uh, them try to uh, use uh, in terms of uh, spreading the field a little bit in the Rocky Mountain showdown. Philip Lindsay is a guy that's kind of a, a guy you can really depend on at running back. Uh, Michael Atkins is my, maybe their most talented back, but he's fourth on the depth chart because he just has not learned how to play when he's a little bit banged up as a running back. You're always going to have some nicks and bruises. You've got to be able to play through it. Philip Lindsay does that. He had, he's played through some rib injuries. He's just, he's consistent. He's not a home run threat. Sometimes when he gets in the open field, he almost looks for contact. He, he's a smaller back. He's 5'8", 190. He's not the biggest back, but he just loves contact. And so, um, he's a guy that, uh, you, you're going to see quite a bit of in that Rocky Mountain showdown. And they've got a really talented tight end by the name of Sean Irwin, a guy that's maybe the best run blocking tight end in the Pac-12. And, he showed some flashes in terms of the, the pass catching last season, had some big catches for them, and I think they're going to try to implement him a little bit more. So those are kind of the main guys there. Should we move on to the, the matchups and, and kind of break this down, really dive into this, this Ryan? Yeah, man, let's do that. All right, we're going we're gonna to figure out who has the edge. So let's start out. Let's go Colorado State's passing attack versus Colorado's pass defense. You tell me what, what Colorado State's got cooking with their passing attack. And then I'll talk about Colorado's pass defense, and we'll figure out who maybe has the edge here. All right, sounds good. Um, well, uh, I have a limited knowledge, I guess, of a CU secondary, but I think I know enough to know that uh, as far as that matchup goes, um, I would say that certainly favors Colorado. Um, with Awujie back there and Ryan Moeller um, and Tedrick Thompson, um, just a lot of guys with experience and talent for sure um, going against CSU's receivers that – uh, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, they're trying to replace their top three guys from a year ago. Um, you know, I mentioned Michael Gallup uh, and Dietrich Clark. Those are guys that are going to have to step up. They have college experience, but Clark played quarterback last year as an option guy. And Gallup, um, you know, he was hurt for, I believe, most of last season. And, and uh, you know, he's yet to prove it at the FBS level. Um, and over fall camp, there's been about, I'd say, 10 guys that have really battled for, uh, at that receiver position. Um, you know, another guy that, uh, you know, maybe some fans might know is BC Johnson. Uh, he's a true sophomore from Bear Creek. Uh, he was a track star in high school, really flew under the radar in recruiting for football. Um, but he's a guy that you mentioned consistency, and that's something that this kid has is, um, you know, he's worn that red jersey, been a little bit banged up, but he'll be good to go for the game. Uh, but he's just been a consistent, uh, does what coaches say, and he's fast enough, has good enough hands, good route runner that um, he's kind of a do-everything receiver. So he should start with Michael Gallup. 
on the outside. Another guy is Sammy Long, uh, who uh, could have signed with Washington uh, four years ago as a gray shirt guy, decided as a three-star to sign with Colorado State. A uh, very quiet kid that has done, uh, honestly, very little at CSU, but he's 6'3", um, and finally now, uh, with the other three guys gone, is, has started to emerge um, as a guy that's bigger. Uh, he's just a smooth guy that kind of gets the job done. Not flashy. He's not going to blow you away with his speed, but um, at 6'3", he's got some nice hands. He can be a nice possession guy. Um, and there's quite a few other receivers to name. Uh, you know, Marcus Wilson from Valor Christian moved over from cornerback. He should factor in in the slot as well. You have John Frysmith, Elroy Masters, and I could go on and on. But the bottom line is uh, a lot of youth for sure uh, for CSU's wide receivers. And I think what you're going to see in the Rocky Mountain Showdown um, is a lot of short to intermediate passes. Uh, you might see a lot of screens, whether that's like a bubble screen or some sort of um, variety of that to just get the ball in, into the receiver's hands and let them make the play after the catch. Um, because at this rate, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, with it being the first game, they have yet to prove that um, they can really be effective passing the ball down the field. And as I mentioned with Thompson and uh, Wuje and those guys who you're certainly going to talk more about, um, I just really think that favors you pretty heavily. Yeah, we do this thing on buffstampede.com where we do – uh, the top returning buffs, and when we open up the voting to fans and, and myself and our fan correspondent Tyler is just going to all vote on this. And there was a, a consensus. Cheeto Beowuze was the, the number one player on the football team in our opinions, and Tedrick Thompson safety was number two on our list. So your top two players in that secondary. <laughs> and then safety Ryan Moeller returns, and cornerbacks uh, Isaiah Oliver and Akella Witherspoon also ranked pretty high on our list as well. So this is def- definitely one of the strengths of Colorado's football team. They don't have – much depth in the secondary, but hey, this is the first game of the season and all those guys are healthy. So this is going to be kind of their, one of their strengths going into this football game. Cheeto Beowuze was a second team all Pac-12 guy last year. And honestly, had he played for a team that won more football games, he probably would have been a first team all conference guy. He's really versatile. Obviously in today's college football, you're in the nickel formation most of the time. And because of his versatility, they really like using him in that role. He can rush the passer from, from that role and you're going to see him maybe a little bit more cornerback this year. I think they want to give him, allow him to get some tape at corner for the NFL scouts because he's got a chance to be a, one of the top three round pick next year. Um, but for this opener, I think you'll see him quite a bit in that nickel role. Um, Isaiah Oliver is kind of an intriguing guy here. You look at Colorado's defense and the only starter that has less than eight career starts on that defense is Isaiah Oliver. But yeah, this kid, uh, is, is a, a real pure athlete. He participated in the decathlon during track season, despite really not having a whole lot of time to practice for that. Obviously, his top priority is football. So he didn't really get into that until after spring practices. And he qualified for the Pac-12 championships and was, was an all-conference track guy this year. So he's got some, some pretty unique athleticism. It's, it kind of comes down to him refining his technique a little bit. He replaces Kenneth Crawley, who was, their starter and was kind of an up and down player. I know he had that pick against CSU last year, but uh, there were times he didn't really quite live up to his potential. So I, I think Colorado fans are really intrigued to see what number 26 Isaiah Oliver does in the Rocky Mountain Showdown. But you mentioned Colorado State loses their top three receivers, and you know Nick Stevens isn't even officially named as a quarter quarterback yet. I think you got to probably go with Colorado's pass defense having the edge here. I do. You mentioned all of BC Johnson. I, I've enjoyed watching him a couple times at Bear Creek in high school. Real versatile, explosive kid. I, I'm looking forward to seeing him play uh, uh, this season for sure. 
Uh, let's move along. We're kind of in agreement there on that first one. I think we're going to be in agreement on this one too, Ryan. Uh, Colorado State's rushing attack <laughs> versus Colorado's run defense. Uh, well, again, I've kind of shared um, why I like CSU's run game. They're going to try to establish that early and often. Uh, pretty solid stable of running backs with a great offensive line returning. Uh, you know, I think most folks would kind of uh, agree with the fact that either CSU's linebackers or offensive line are the strength of the team, probably the offensive line. Uh, I mentioned the starters returning. The inside guys are just uh, the nitty-gritty, um, you know, smash-mouth guys that coaches love. Um, you know, they're not the most athletic, um, but they get the job done, and they love to, uh, you know, run the football uh, and get dirty in the trenches. Um, and I think that's the strength of the offensive line. They're going to be okay in pass protection, but it's certainly going to be running the ball as their strength. Um, and I think the addition, as I mentioned, of uh, Paul Thurston from Nebraska is really – uh, was a great addition late uh, in the off season um, because that allows them because that was their one question mark was who's going to fill in at left guard uh, and now that you bring in Thurston who started in their bowl game win against UCLA um, at center he's a guy that's versatile he can play any three of the interior line positions you have uh, Zach Goldich at tackle he played uh, mostly guard last year so he's sliding back out to his natural position of tackle um, and in my opinion he's probably CSU's best. Uh, offensive lineman, even though you have, you know, Jake Bennett at center getting the Remington watch list award, uh, Fred Zerblis, uh, right guard, he's preseason all conference selection. So, um, lots of guys with, uh, some, uh, recognition there on the inside and certainly you have some depth, um, that I think CSU's really, that was kind of the issue in camp was trying to find out who was going to be the backups at guard or excuse me on the offensive line. Some guys that can play guard or tackle. Um, and I think they found three guys. Um, and Trey Moxley, uh, Jeff Taylor, a true freshman, and then uh, Colby Meeks, uh, who's a sophomore. He uh, played quite a bit as a true freshman last year. So they have the depth uh, on the inside and outside to really be a, a good good rushing football team for sure. Uh, now, that being said, uh, from what I know about CU's front, um, you know, I think Tupo was going to present a problem. Um, you know, I think even in practices, CSU's not really used to – um, having to block such big dudes. Um, I mean, Christian Cologne's really the big guy that CSU has. He was another true freshman that I should have mentioned that, um, although he's been hurt for virtually all of camp, I think there's a, um, a chance that he can play in the showdown. Uh, but other than him, uh, nose tackle, I don't think CSU's really gone up against some bigger guys. And, um, I think they can hold their own. Um, and just to get to the point of answering the question, I think that's a, a battle that CSU should win on the whole, is running the football against CU's run defense. Uh, that being said, though, I don't think that CSU is necessarily going to just totally dominate uh, through and through because, like, as you mentioned, CU has so much depth. Um, I like their front seven. I think they're going to present uh, certainly a strong enough challenge that CSU, I don't think, uh, will necessarily dominate the trenches uh, at the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Okay. Well, I give Colorado State the edge here as well in in – I'll go a step further in saying if Colorado State's going to win this Rocky Mountain showdown, I think they might need to do- dominate that matchup. It is definitely a key, I think, for Colorado State. Uh, as, as a Colorado fan mentioned earlier in our mailbag, you know, they, they racked up 17,000 rushing yards in their scrimmages, give or take a few yards here. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that, they, they definitely, that, that, like you said, that's the strength of Colorado State's team. And while Colorado's defensive line in front seven overall, should be better than it was a year ago. Hey, this was a Colorado team that ranked 
99th nationally in run defense last season. So, as they say, man, the proof is in the pudding. we got to see them go out there and perform. It certainly helps to have Josh Chupo back in the fold, who you mentioned. He's a nose tackle, 325 pounds, that was uh, suspended last year. He's back working that rust off during camp. Addison Gillum supposedly being healthy. We'll, we'll kind of see, you know, uh, how much of an impact he has. But I, I think that Colorado has a chance to be, you know, if you look at Colorado's defense in the area that they have the biggest room for improvement, it, it is in run defense. And so uh, I think they'll be better maybe than they were last year or even the year before. They kind of got manhandled two years ago in the trenches in the second half. Um, so that's definitely the key for me in this entire football game is if, Colorado's run defense holds strong. They're going to win this football game. And if Colorado State's rushing attack, you know, goes wild like they were able to do in some of those preseason scrimmages, uh, they, they could really make this a football game and potentially pull off the upset. Uh, I'm going to give Colorado State's rushing attack the edge just because, again, I want to see with my own eyes that this Colorado defense can improve in that area. Moving along now. Right. I know. Uh, sorry about that, Adam. I'll just no, add real quick. With that, you know, I'm going to catch a lot of hate from CSU fans with, uh, you know, I think most fans would think that CSU will dominate, uh, in the trenches when CSU has the ball as far as running the football. Um, I just think that while CU's improved, I think until CSU can prove that, um, you know, they can pass the football, that CU could be stacked on the box, you know, with sure. eight, maybe even nine guys just to uh, shut down that run game. So I think there's a chance that maybe, um, CSU might not quite dominate like some people think, but we'll see, obviously. Okay. Why don't you lead off here in terms of uh, kind of break down Colorado State's secondary. We're going to go Colorado's passing attack versus the Rams' pass defense. Sure. Uh, I'm just going to say straight up, I think that certainly favors CU, um, their passing attack with the return of Sefo Lufau. And, um, yeah, they lose Nelson Spruce, but you mentioned Shea Fields and Bobo and Ento and some other guys that are certainly some playmakers. Uh, probably the biggest question mark for CSU, uh, you know, at a unit of very strong importance is its secondary. Um, you know, you, they lose their four year starters, uh, Trent Matthews and Kevin Pierre Lewis at safety. Um, you know, I think those guys are great in the run game, not so great in the pass, uh, game, but, uh, so having some fresh blood in there might be a good thing in a lot of ways, but having that said, you can't, um, replace experience like that right off the bat with um, so many new faces. And I think at cornerback, you know, uh, one guy that's slotted a start is Jordan Vaden, who CU fans saw at receiver last year. Um, so he flipped over. He's certainly a very lengthy guy at six foot three, playing cornerback. Uh, pretty interesting. Um, he's very long, can clog up some passing lanes, but it still remains to be seen. Can he be good uh, as a starting cornerback? I mean, that's just a brand new position for him. Um, their main returning starter is Tyree Simmons opposite him at corner. He's a very solid guy. Um, you know, he's gotten burned a couple times uh, in his career, but I think, uh, like most good cornerbacks do, it's going to happen, but he's good at, uh, kind of forgetting about it and just moving on. Um, so he's a solid guy. And then at safety, Jake Schlager, um, he's a versatile guy that's very good in run support. He could be playing some nickel. Um, very bright, intelligent kid uh, that I think is a lot better athletically than a lot of people give credit for. Um, but again, he's had a very um, up and down career as far as injuries go. Uh, if he's healthy, he's he could be an all conference performer, but he just can't seem to stay healthy. So that's the big question mark with him. Um, he's been great on special teams, but has yet 
um, to prove that he can be a starting safety. Um, and then the guy next to him is probably going to be Justin Sweet uh, from Bishop Gorman out in Vegas. Um, he's kind of an undersized guy that's played corner. He's played uh, nickel in his career. He's going to be playing uh, strong safety. Um, you know, again, the jury's still out on him, uh, as well as Braylon Scott, who could be playing some safety or some nickel. Um, so just so much inexperience. And I think that's the one area that's really scary for CSU fans is, um, you know, CU has the ability to light up the field, uh, to spread the ball around. And, uh, you know, if CSU doesn't have a pass rush, to me, that's the key to the entire game is if CSU can have a pass rush, they can compete defensively. Um, if they can't get that pass rush when CU tries to, uh, uh, move the ball down the field, um, that could be a problem for CSU, who has a lot of inexperience. So um, I'm definitely going to give uh, the edge there to Colorado. I agree with you there again. Uh, you have uh, a senior quarterback in Cepho, Lou Fow, and a junior in Shea Fields. And you've, you've got some pieces there. I mentioned Sean Irwin, the tight end, recently that, that made some big catches last year. And that's just a group that, when you when you talk about Colorado State's inexperience in that secondary, you, you got to give the edge to Colorado. I will say, throughout his career, even when healthy, Sefalufau has not necessarily been the most consistent passer. But you know, his sophomore year, they did rank in the top 20 nationally in terms of passing offense. That dropped down to 49th last season. Even before Sefo before Sefo suffered that season-ending foot injury, he had the shoulder ailment, which he actually suffered against Colorado State. They kind of limited him in some games. They ranked 89th in, in team passing efficiency. So what they're really trying to do offensively in terms of the, the passing game is get back to where they were two years ago. And sure, Seppo Lufau drew some criticism in during that sophomore, that record-setting sophomore season with some of the turnovers he had. But I, I, contend, I contend that I think you'd rather have a gunslinging Seppo Lufau that might throw a couple interceptions, but he's making a ton of plays. We'll, we'll see if he's kind of gets that mentality back to where he was a couple years ago. He admits, you know, last year was a kind of a disappointment for him, and injuries definitely did play into that. He's healthy now. If you can't make plays against this Colorado State secondary that, that again, is so inexperienced, there's going to be some major question marks about that, you know, part of Colorado's team going forward. So uh, they, they've kind of want to come out, I think, and make a statement in, in that regard. And so I think they're going to, uh, you know, have some success through the air in the Rocky Mountain show now. Uh, what do you think in terms of Colorado State's run defense going up against Colorado's rushing at that? Um, that's going to be an interesting battle. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, C's running back rotations probably going to be, you know, maybe four, possibly five guys. I don't know. Um, but there's a lot of guys that could be running the football. Um, you know, from what I know, CU has quite a bit of experience up front, I think. Um, gosh, CS. With the move to a 3-4, CSU is going to have to prove that I can, um, you know, dominate the trenches. And an issue for them in the past has certainly been a lack of size up front. Um, and that's something that they've steadily uh, improved upon uh, with a lot more, uh, you know, true nose tackles. Um, guys that can play either nose guard or even slide out to strong side defensive end. Um and I think what's really going to help that is CSU's uh, two middle linebackers and Josh Watson and Kevin Davis, who um, really epitomize tackling machines. They're guys that can roam sideline to sideline, but they're very, very physical to the point of attack. So provided that, uh, you know, the front three and the run game can, uh, uh, you know, gobble up double teams and allow Watson and Davis to fly around, I think CSU can actually be all right. 
Um, you know, I know they, they struggled at times last year, and certainly some of their numbers are skewed playing, you know, New Mexico and Air Force and option teams like that. But um, I think in the run game, uh, while, you know, certainly the scrimmage is probably what a lot of CU fans are going to be looking at, I think CSU is going to be a lot better provided, um, of course, that uh, they can avoid the injury bug. Um, I'm going to give the slight edge to CU there just with the experience they have up front. And then uh, they have enough in the running game uh, to do some good things. But CSU is going to have brand new starters on the defensive line, um, which I think they're going to be fine. I, I like their starters up front. But again, depth is a concern on the defensive line. Um, and I think CSU is going to be OK, like I said, at linebacker to uh, um, eliminate uh, most big plays in the run game. But overall, I'll give the edge to uh, CU. OK. Yeah, I was kind of, this is the only one that I was kind of torn on. I, I felt like I would either kind of give it a, you know, a, a draw here or a slight edge to Colorado like you. Um, and I didn't want those scrimmage numbers to cloud my judgment too much. Like you mentioned, you're going a lot of backups. And once you get into those second and third teams going against each other, I mean, stats, you can kind of throw those out the window, but they, they, they did struggle, you know, in, in those scrimmages and, and Phil Lindsay uh, is now a junior. He's gained some experience. Donovan Lee has come on as a dependable guy at running back. He was kind of a versatile guy that moved between slot receiver and running back his first couple of years on campus. Has kind of found his home. He's kind of a one cut and get up the field type of guy that has. Uh, he's a small guy, but he's got surprising lower body strength and can kind of run through his arm tackles. I mentioned Kyle Evans, a walk-on's emergence at running back, and then Michael Atkins, who's kind of the wild card there. I guess I'll, I don't know, I'll kind of be on the fence there. You, you, you went CU. I don't know. It's either, it's either a draw for me or CU has the edge here. Um, and then, uh, I think lastly, we'll, we'll talk about special teams. I know Mike McIntyre, Colorado's head coach, is a big fan of the punter up there at Fort Collins. Yeah. Uh, you're referring to Hayden Hunt, who, uh, was a Ray Guy Award finalist last year. He just missed out on winning it. Um, He's arguably the nation's best returning punter, um, and rightfully so. He, uh, you know, I, I think the the media viewing periods at practice are similar that I have to what you have uh, possibly watching CU. But from what I've seen, um, I think Hunt's even better than last year. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, he, he's received a lot of attention for his accuracy and the number of uh, punts he's had inside the 20 or even inside the 10-yard line. I think he only had one touchback last year. Um, but just from what I've seen, I mean, it's just a different sound, honestly. It's like you, you go to a batting practice and you watch guys hit a baseball and then, um, you know, maybe some infielders and you have cargo come up and it's just a different sound off the bat. It's almost the same way with Hayden Hunt, the way he punts at football. It's just a, a different sounding boom. And he just honestly just crushes it, uh, super high. He's, he's usually pretty accurate. You know, he's going to shank some, but, um, certainly, like I said, he's one of the nation's best punters and, uh, it's been said over and over and over this off season that he can flip the field on a dime if CSU is in bad field position, which, you know, the typical fan is not really going to think about that, but it's definitely going to impact the game, um, provided CSU can't move the ball and they get in trouble. So that's certainly a weapon that uh, is going to be nice to have. Um, Colorado State's had uh, a competition at field goal kicker, actually. Um, they had walk-on. Uh, Wyatt Bryan from Douglas County High School. He was their kicker last year, very inconsistent. Um, and they brought in a Juco guy, Tavis Guerra, to, uh, who's a left footer to help compete, uh, for that starting place kicking job. And I think, um, from what I've seen and 
kind of my understanding is Brian's probably still going to be the guy this year. I think he's improved a lot. Um, I think Guerra, you know, he has better rotation on his his kicks, but Brian just he has a stronger arm. I think um, he's consistent enough to be their guy, and I think he's going to be much improved from last year. And as long as he is, um, I mean, CSU is really going to need that because that was certainly a concern last year. Um, I think the biggest concern, uh, well, actually two, is one, CSU loses their uh, special teams coach, who is uh, Jeff Hammerschmidt. He left to go be an assistant with the New York Jets. Uh, they brought in Jamie Bryant, who's been all over college football, um, various pos- positional coaching roles. Um, but he's their safeties and special teams coach, and I think he's a great coach and doing some good things. But anytime you bring in a new guy with new uh, schemes, it's uh, always going to be a concern. And um, you know, I'm not sure that they know who their kick returner is, or at least we don't know. You know, with Deontay Gaines leaving and Joe Hansley, the two receivers I mentioned, uh, those were their punt and kick returners last year. And with those guys gone, uh, CSU is going to have new guys that kick and punt returners. So those are the kind of the, the question marks there are who's going to be their return guys. Uh, certainly there's some skill there, but you don't want to put a guy back there that while he's electric, he's – uh, a liability to catch the football consistently. So a lot of names that I can name for you there, but we don't know who's going to be the true punt returner um, or kick returner. And again, there's some names there. Maybe the freshman Marvin Kinsey might get a look, but uh, so we don't know there. Um, and just from what I know about CU, they seem, um, I guess, relatively consistent. I'll give the edge to CSU, even though there are some question marks in the return game uh, as well as some overall schemes, but um yeah, I'll just give the edge to CSU. Well, you, Colorado State has maybe the front runner for the Ray Guy Award, so I'm not gonna uh, <laughs> give you any flack for that. Uh, Colorado's punter is is his name is Alex Kinney, and what's kind of funny about this is he grew up in Fort Collins, went That's to right. Rocky Mountain High School, and he grew up cheering for Nebraska. And you know, when it came to the Rocky Mountain Showdown, he'd kind of go with the town and cheer for CSU, but. Colorado offered him a scholarship and he committed and his allegiances changed pretty, pretty much overnight. And so he had a pretty good uh, freshman year. He was, he took a little bit too long to get his punts off early in the season and he kind of corrected that issue and uh, ended up having a, a really good second half of the season when you consider that he was a true freshman in that role. And it sounds like again, kind of like you were alluding to, we only see so much with the, the close practices. What we did see, and what the coaches tell us is that he's a little bit more consistent this year. So he's, he should be a pretty solid punter. That's not a, a team weakness. Diego Gonzalez is, is the place kicker, and he had an up-and-down uh, season last year. And Colorado State fans kind of got to see the microcosm of it uh, of it in that game. You know, he missed the what would have been a game-winner in regulation against the, the Rams, and then he comes back and, and barely you know gets, gets the kick up over the outstretched arms of Colorado State's guys on, on the – field goal block unit uh, to, to win the game in overtime last year. He uh, had one of the low, lower percentages in terms of field goal uh, makes last year, but it, all, all of that pretty much was a result of him just not being able to do a very good job of making field goals from the left hash, which they just, once he started having issues from there, it seemed like every time he, they, they'd go out for a field goal, they'd be on that left hash. And he had some footwork stuff that he had, he had to rework uh, they brought in uh, a guy that's a kicking specialist to be part of the staff this year, and they've kind of reworked his kicking. I can tell you in the, in the open uh, practices that we had a chance to see him kick, he was kicking the ball a lot higher, a lot stronger, and a lot more accurate than he did last year. 
with place kickers, man, it's a whole different deal when you get out there in game days. And, and so we'll see if that consistency translates over. In terms of the return game, Jay McIntyre, uh, yes, he is Mike McIntyre's son, will be the, the starting putt returner. And he's good in that role. He's maybe the most sure-handed player on the team. He's a receiver as a slot guy that you'll see some in that role as well. And he's got good short area quickness. So he's a guy that I think is, is perfectly suited for that role. And then a kick return, you've got Philip Lindsay and Tony Julmisa, freshman that I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, those, Philip Lindsay has done well in that, in that role in the past. He just always seems to be, you know, one more missed tackle away from breaking it and just hasn't been able to, to break one of those free quite yet. But, uh, overall, I would say special teams are pretty, pretty solid, but, Again, Colorado State's got a guy that might win a national award this year. So I'll give a, a slight edge there to Colorado State as well. So just kind of recapping here, we both agreed that Colorado's pass defense has an edge over Colorado State's passing attack. We both agree that Colorado State's rushing attack has an edge over Colorado's run defense. In terms of Colorado's passing attack versus Colorado State's pass defense, again, we agree that Colorado has the edge there. Uh, we were kind of... I was a little bit on the fence in terms of Colorado's rushing attack. You gave a slight edge to Colorado, and then we both gave an edge to Colorado State in terms of the special team. So I guess that leads us into prediction time, Ryan. What what do you got in terms of a a final score? Oh, (laughs) Um, it seems that, I don't know, I tend to be wrong. It's like the years I choose CU, CSU wins and vice versa, but um, I really do think CU is going to win. I think – uh, both programs are certainly trending up. Um, you know, it's it's might be harder to tell for CU because you have the Arizonas of the world and everyone else in their division, uh, you know, imp- improving so steadily or quickly, I should say. Um, but I think CU is definitely improving. CSU is certainly improving. Um, so I'm honestly just hoping for a better product on the field because I know you and I have kind of uh, – seems every year we do like a podcast or we get together and do something – some sort of collaboration and there's so much excitement and uh, anticipation and oftentimes a product on the field, the actual game, you know, maybe it's close, but um, teams aren't quite where they want to be. And I think both teams are finally starting to get to where they want to be trending upwards. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, as far as an actual score pre- uh, prediction um, at this point, I think, there's going to be a little bit more scoring uh, than maybe some folks realize or might think. Um, you know, I think CU's going to be able to score some points through the air for sure. Um, one area is CSU's been pretty bad at the last couple of years is creating turnovers. Um, and I just have a hunch that, uh, you know, I know a lot of uh, practice periods and scrimmages. I know it's, you know, still fall camp, but I just have a hunch that from the production they've had over camp and creating turnovers is going to kind of, translate um you know for as much as i like trent matthews and kevin pierre lewis at safety they're guys that just really didn't create turnovers um as much as you would like anyways and so i think there's finally some athletes although they're quite green uh pun intended uh they're gonna be able to create some turnovers so maybe csu gets some uh, points there but on the whole i'm gonna go see who's gonna win uh and i'll say colorado 45 colorado state 38 Wow, that's a lot of scoring going on in that game. I would enjoy watching yeah. that football game. <laughs> I, right? I'm going <laughs> to go a little bit more low, low scoring than that. Um, and what 
makes me think that Colorado is going to win this football game. And I've kind of gone back and forth between thinking they win by a touchdown and uh, them winning by double digits, winning by 10 points is just that, you know, Colorado State has a, a few more question marks in terms of the, the depth on the D line, inexperience, the secondary uh, question marks in terms of the turnover at receiver. Colorado doesn't have as many question marks just because They've got more guys coming back, uh, again, going back to that combined starts that they have on this team. Um, so this program is on better footing than, it, than it's been in, in quite some time. I think Colorado ha- has a chance to, to kind of make a statement here. I, again, but, but the way this game has been played traditionally, you can't really predict a blowout. That just is kind of irresponsible because even when it looks like a team should be able to blow out the other team, it doesn't really end up that way. That said, I still like Colorado to win this game fairly comfortably. I think it'll be a close game in the first half, and I like them to kind of pull away maybe to a 27-17 victory. At, is it still Sports Authority Field, or is it Mile High Stadium? What, what are we calling the, the venue this year? <laughs> I literally have no idea at this point. <laughs> I'll say, though, you know, I don't mind the game down there, except that the press box is so shut off. You don't really get to feel the atmosphere. Obviously, we can't cheering the press box, but I feel like we never really get to feel the atmosphere in, in that stadium. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And I think the biggest issue, of course, is just the product has resulted in, uh, you know, fewer fans showing up. And I know so many fans, especially, I mean, I mean, really both sides, they want the game back on campus and that'll be fun once that finally happens. Um, but I, I just want both these programs to finally be to a point where, um, you know, where, where fan bases are proud, you know, proud to support them and just finally, you know, get to a point where the product on the field is where that's something super exciting because, um, you know, certainly I want a lot of fans to be there and I'm not sure the stadium's quite going to fill up, uh, you know, like it did back in the old days under Van Pelt and those guys. But, um, yeah, it, it's okay there at Sports Authority, but if the fans aren't there, I agree with you. It's kind of a, kind of a lame atmosphere. And of course, you don't really get the full, um, experience, I guess, being closed off there in the press box. I think the biggest mistake they made was making that the venue every year. I think it kind of loses its its luster when you're going down to Denver every single year. And, and I know we're going to have that couple-year hiatus with the series, but I'm looking forward to the series getting back on campus. And, you know, Colorado fans can say that they don't view Colorado State as a rival, but it's just not true. If you look at our message board, they bring up stuff from Fort Collins all the time. and It's fun. Like, it's 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 good. It's healthy. Uh, to have that rivalry, and, and I'm I'm glad that they're going to keep this going and get it back on campus, and it should be fun. And I'm looking forward to it again, not having to go sit in kind of that stale atmosphere that it's just it's overdone. You know, if they did it every mm-hmm. three years or every five years, I think it would have more novelty than it does right now. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Well, Ryan, welcome to Scout, man. Are are you excited about this move? <laughs> what, what do you guys have on tap there at InsideTheRams.com? Yeah, man, I, I'm stoked. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming and, um, couldn't be more excited to join the team. There's so many things I'm looking forward to with everyone on the network having, you know, rejoining you, um, so many other publishers that, uh, I've heard so many good things about and just the overall support staff, uh, with the analysts and everything. And, uh, couldn't be happier. And I've got another writer, Keegan Pope, um, who's working for the, the college newspaper, the Collegian, who's just done a phenomenal job that, couldn't be more happy to have him on board. And, um, yeah, we just, we're, we're thrilled to, uh, uh, you know, bring some Colorado State coverage to uh, the Scout Network. 
Awesome. Well, I look forward to catching up with you in the press box down there uh, tomorrow evening. Again, this was our special Rocky Mountain Showdown preview podcast, and I appreciate all of you for tuning in. He was born in the summer of his 27th year, coming home to a place he'd never been before. He left yesterday behind him, you might say he was born again, you might say he found the key for every door. When he first came to the mountains, his life was far away. On the road hanging by a song But the string's already broken And he doesn't really care It keeps changing fast And it don't last so long Rocky Mountain High